to ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. Now we are the masters of our faith. Hello. My name is Rick Napier, the CEO at Real People USA LLC, located in Northern California, somewhere between Sacramento and San Francisco. And uh, Real People USA, we are a company that helps uh, political candidates with coaching, uh, fundraising, and we love to talk about the four items that we focus on, which is working hard, working smart, communicating often and using a strategy. Today's podcast guest will be a treat for Real People USA listeners. We have the honor and pleasure of interviewing Michael Jacobs, who's running for district attorney in Orange County, California. So without further delay, I would like to welcome Michael and we'll call him Mike on this interview. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Good morning, Rick. I'm fine. Thank you. And Mike, I want to thank you for doing this interview. I think you have one of the most important jobs in California, probably behind governor, because uh, Orange County used to be a place where a lot of people used to go and say, this is like like one of the best counties in California. And in my opinion, as a person who used to work in Los Angeles and and cover and, and serve clients in Orange County and in and, and Los Angeles County, I've seen some changes in Orange County that I haven't seen ever before. So I want to ask you a few questions about your candidacy. And the first question, Mike, is please tell the Real People USA audience a little about Mike before you began working as a prosecutor. Like, where were you born, college, and work sure. experience? Sure. Well, let's see. I was... Um... I was born in Manhattan in New York City, but I was raised on Great Neck, Long Island. And um, I left home, I think, just right before my uh, 18th birthday to attend Occidental College in California. And I I fell in love with California. And except for a few visits back east, uh, I made that my my home since 1967. Uh, While I was in... uh, I attended Occidental College for four years, and then after Occidental College, I attended Loyola University School of Law. I was very fortunate because I was supporting myself, and uh, uh, Loyola University let me um, transfer from the night program to the day program so I could get get out in um, three years instead of four. Uh, Immediately after uh, I left law school, I was really lucky. I got a job in the Wilshire District of Los Angeles working uh, for a law firm, Botkin, Breslin, and Letty. I stayed there, um, oh, maybe just a year because I wanted to get trial experience. And I was very fortunate. um, After I'd been in private practice for about a year, I was um, hired on at uh, Orange County District Attorney's Office where I worked there for almost 30 years. And uh, that pretty much covers my uh, my work experience. Oh, excellent. So you spent one year in private practice and the rest of your uh, legal or law career was working in the Orange County District Attorney Office. Mike, that's a lot of experience. Yes, it was just under, um, let me see, it was just under 30 years, about 29 years and nine months. and. Uh, 
It was a it was a great experience. I left uh, in 1990. I left for six months for private practice, and I missed working in the DA's office so much that when my supervisor Ed Freeman called me and asked if I was ready to come back, I jumped on it and went <laughs> back there from 1991 to 2006. And every time I ever thought about leaving, I'd either get promoted or get a new exciting assignment. So it was uh, back then. It was it was a great place uh, to work. It was it really was. Wow, that's a nice promotion salary. Hey, I'm leaving. Okay, you're promoted. <laughs> yeah, that, that helps. It helps to make you stick around, you know? Exactly. Well, thanks for that answer, uh, Mike. Here's my next question. Prior to running for Orange County DA, mm-hmm. please summarize job titles and functions uh, and, and, and experience that you had in some of these titles. Okay. Well, going first of all, uh, back to my first um, job out of law school, I was an associate attorney with a private law firm, Botkin, Breslin, and Luddy. That was just for a little over a year. I left, uh, joined the DA's office, and uh, gradually, well, actually I went up the ranks pretty quickly from a a deputy um, grade one. uh, I got to a grade three when I was on the felony trial division. I did pretty well there. I was appointed... um, uh, grade four, uh, and then was assigned to vertical units. Uh, I was um, grade four for a number of years, and then they created a new um, pay bracket or a new, new scale. It was called uh, senior grade four, and um, I was promoted to that, which was mostly a trial attorney position. In uh, 1999, I was promoted to assistant, which was like the line manager. And that's the the job I always wanted. And I was uh, after I was appointed, I was um, put in as the head of the homicide unit, which I thought was the best job. I know it was the best job I ever had. I think the best job you could have uh, working for the DA's office. I had that job for, let me think, I worked in homicide actually for 13 years. I supervised it for three years. And those were the best years of my career by far and the most interesting. Well, I would think so, because that's that's the, I guess, the highest profile type case, uh, you know, and a prosecutor may see when someone's, you know, life is taken. Well, also part of it when I was um, when I was right after right before I became a supervisor in homicide, I started the Trackers Unsolved Homicide Project, and I got to work on that for three years. While I was also supervising homicide, and that was really an interesting and exciting job. I, I used to tell people it was it's like being on TV, but better because it's real. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, and and many people, especially here in California. I mean, you live in, and, and my audience is nationwide. So people living in uh, upstate Michigan or Idaho may not realize that California. Uh, is and you know and probably still will be for a long time the film capital and many of those shows like ER and and a lot of those detective shows and police officer shows were were filmed right there in in Southern California so you can imagine I mean you're you're doing the job for real Mike but you turn on the TV and you see these actors you know playing out these roles uh, of a function that you perform every single day yeah, and unfortunately, it, it often strays too far from reality. Some of those um, programs should get um, a legal advisor or someone who knows a little bit more about the law to try and make it a little bit more real. Exactly. Well, here's my next uh, question, Mike. P- 
People may or may not know that the district attorney's office is nonpartisan. It's a nonpartisan position, meaning there is no Democrat nor Republican way of handling cases. Please explain the importance of this nonpartisan district attorney feature. Well, that's interesting that you asked me that, because the other day I, I kind of I did a little bit of research on that, and I found out, believe it or not, Rick, most of the, the nation, most of the county uh, district attorneys in the nation are, in fact, partisan. California is one of the rare states um, where it's nonpartisan. I think the, 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 the benefit or the purpose of making it nonpartisan is you don't want to politicize law enforcement, just like... Um, the sheriffs, uh, the, the, the various law enforcement agencies, police departments, they're generally nonpartisan as well. Uh, however, uh, California is different, and I, and I think it's a good thing because it's not been a, really an issue of what is the Republican or Democratic stance on certain issues. It should be nonpartisan. It should be what's best for the, for the protection of the community. But as I said, uh, Having done some research, I'd say at least 80% of the states, it is, in fact, partisan. Wow, wow. And I know here in California, there there have been reports of various counties where even though it's nonpartisan, it seems like some of the, the rulings and the outcomes and uh, the way justice is, is served uh, to the public, you know, via the, the you know, some of the, the people who are who have committed crimes, it seems like it has been partisan. What are your thoughts on what you have seen in California just within the last maybe four years? Maybe, oh, yeah. Four to six no, years. I, know, I, know where, I think I know where you're going with this. Um, part one to the answer is even though it's nonpartisan, the number one question I get out on the campaign trail, are you a Republican or a Democrat? See, every, everybody wants to know that, okay? And I think part of it is, to answer the second, to sort of the second part, answer is, okay, everybody's worried about what's going up in Los Angeles, okay, and some of the other large counties that are controlled by Democrats, for instance, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, I think Milwaukee, and especially L.A., those are known um, district attorneys, those district attorneys are known to have been supported by, they are in fact Democrats, and they've been supported by Democrats' uh, groups. Uh, their stance, and without getting too much into it, on their pro progressive, equity-based uh, law enforcement policies have kind of wrecked havoc with our with our system of of, of law, and you have uh, crime rates rising at an alarming level in those cities. So I think uh, the issue has become now it's kind of an identification that the. Uh, the Democratic district attorneys are not enforcing the law, and the Republicans are. So it has become very partisan, as you suggested. It really has become partisan. That's right, and it should not be. The, the law should be the law, whatever the law is on the books. But uh, that's a great response. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, provided our listeners uh, some feedback uh, on that question. Mike, my next question is, what do you think Orange County residents perceptions of of the district attorney's office is now and and how it may have how it may have uh, evolved over the last 10 years well that's a that's a great question rick and let me see if i can do justice in my answer i think uh under and just to be exactly to specific under the um 
administration of both Tony Rakakis and Todd Spitzer, I think the uh, the public perception of what's going on there is not favorable. I think there's been so many different issues with Rakakis involving uh, decry the informants issue, um, other issues um, with cases coming back that are getting reversed because of prosecutorial merit era during his regime and under Todd Spitzer now there's uh, all these um, lawsuits being filed uh, I think at least 13 for enabling sexual harassment and and a hostile work environment there's been two wrongful terminations uh, that have been filed that look like um, they're going to cost the, the county a lot of money and I think uh, the perception is, is not favorable at all and and it's rightfully so I think um, since uh, I've been gone from the district attorney's office in 2006, they, they have had issues and uh, question, questionable conduct on prosecutors, on district attorney, on both district attorneys that uh, is, I don't think it's acceptable. And uh, we'll see what the public does this election. But uh, no, I think right now, um, change, change as objective as people as you could be, I think change is called is called for. And I know from working in the DA's office, it is not a difficult place to manage, and it's not a difficult job if you know how to do it. And the problem that I see is inexperience, uh, bad judgment, and and just the issues that, for instance, when I was in the district attorney's office for nearly 30 years, I never heard or saw of, of a, a, a lawsuit over sexual harassment in hostile workplace, mainly because it didn't happen. It was a good place to work with good people. And uh, I think, uh, as, you, as you might expect, this goes to personnel, both management and line as well. And th- there needs to be some big changes, Rick. There really mm-hmm. does. I hope well, that covers you. covers your question. Yeah, yes, it does. And I was just thinking of something just now. What is if you had to look at a scorecard of when Mike Jacobs worked in the DA, DA's office in terms of the scorecard being uh, best for the public and the scorecard since you left up to the current date, you know, May 9th, 2022. How would you compare those scorecards in terms of, like I said, when you were there in the uh, eyes of the public. How is how, what? It, in other words, how is the department doing now compared to how it was doing when you were there? I think it, it, there's been a radical uh, and continuous drop off, and maybe it was, it's just coincidental with my leaving. However, I know for a fact that uh, when I, I was removed from Rakakis as um, the head of homicide because of differences that we had in, in, a, over, in a lot of things, and uh, but um, since I, I left Homicide, things went downhill, and inexperience came in, inexperienced managers came in who, quite frankly, just didn't have the judgment or, or the, the background to do the job. And then you had in, the informant issues, you had all kinds of problems that shouldn't have happened. And some of them, I know, at least in Homicide, would not have happened if I had remained there. Wow. that's a, Those are some pretty tough, touchy subjects. Uh, well, yeah, it wow. is, but I think that's the, but the, the truth is, like, um, Rakak has put people in, in very important positions that, that really were not prepared and didn't know what they were doing, and they didn't have supervision. 
When I was there, we had ex- I had excellent people working for me, and I had some excellent supervisors above me, and we worked as a team. It seemed that that disintegrated under the administration of Rakakis, and is worse now under the administration of Spitzer. There is no um, the rules, policies, the way to handle things were set in the different units, and that was passed down from uh, supervisor to supervisor. None of that's happening anymore. They don't, you know, a new case comes in, a robbery, a burglary, they don't have policies. It's just like, oh, get whatever you can kind of approach because nobody has the experience to make judgments. And, like, I I was thinking about that the other day when I was there, when I supervised the felony panel, when I supervised homicide, we had principles and ideas. Like, you, you didn't strike firearm enhancements. If someone used a knife, that deserved special attention because those kind of people are really dangerous. Uh, residential burglaries, you go to prison, didn't matter who you were. You know, we had those rules that that were enforced and um, and they were good rules and, 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 it, and it kept the crime rate down. And I, it may sound old fashioned, but I'm not into the progressive um, equity type of of, um, of law enforcement where you let people out again and give them a second chance without really punishing them. And that leads to, uh, I mean, common sense will tell you what will happen. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the only, when you have a a crime rate rate like that that's going up, you know, the only remedy is, you know, you have to start arresting people and putting them in jail. There's no other, there's no other, nothing else will work, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I do recall some cases, I'm not sure if, if, if they were in Orange County, but they were, the cases were in Southern California. And it seemed like if the person had a little bit of of a high profile status, they got a slap on the wrist. But if it was just, you know, Joe Lunchbucket, maybe he got a little harsher uh, penalty or sentencing or uh, more justice because I guess he didn't know anybody. But that's just well, something I I, I, I'm not sure if it was Orange County or not. There's, there's a perception in Orange County that that's true to a certain extent, you know, as far as um political like someone's position there's also the attitude that uh people of color aren't being treated as well as or evenly as even-handed as they should be and i'm i'm not sure about that because i've been gone from the office but you know it is our our law is supposed to be colorblind you know and Mm -hmm. not only is supposed to be colorblind but nobody's supposed to be above the law below the law i i think our public's perception is that is not happening right now yeah, and that's a, a great uh, answer to my next question. Now, how do you think Orange County residents feel when justice is properly executed, even if the outcomes are different than what they expected? In other words, you know, a person does the crime and the public is looking at that and, and, and the public says, well, you know, Joe did the crime or Mary did the crime. And mm-hmm. the outcome is as expected, even though gosh, I feel so bad for Joe or Mary because they did the crime. The outcome was expected. I don't think I don't think the public has a problem as long as they feel that the law was fairly and equally applied and, and it, there was a, a just result. I think the problem right now is what I'm hearing from being on the campaign trail is that they think the uh, public's perception is that there's favoritism and that the uh, both administrations that Rakakis and Spitzer have gone light on police filings. And they may have something there because someone approached me, gave me some statistics that said like there's been like 
oh, I, don't, I think in the last 10 years, 142 police shootings and no filings. And oh, no. I, I, I myself did a, a little bit of research, and I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but during the Rokakis administration and the Spitzer administration, I'm not sure if any police officer was charged and then sentenced on a felony. I could not find any. I found a couple that were charged, but then they had misdemeanor dispositions. So when when you put those numbers out there, you know, and I think the numbers that I've been given and I researched are fairly accurate, there is something wrong. And then you look at, I think, in the last election, and probably in this election, too, it hasn't happened yet, the Sheriff's Association, I think, contributed well over $350,000 to Tony Rakakis's campaign. Well, something tells me, you know, politicians like that kind of money. And the question is, what? how does that affect our in- enforcement when it comes to regulating the police department? You know from examining some cases years back, the People versus Gillian, Gillian case, where um, it looked like there was some police officer involvement that was covered up. Well, that looks awful to uh, to our, our pub, to the public, and it, it makes you wonder, um, you know, uh, whether the laws are being applied and wh- whether there really is any kind of watchdog over our law enforcement agency. Because I'll tell you right now, the, I don't think the attorney general does anything when it comes to that issue, and they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. I know what I said is controversial, but I think it's the truth. Yeah, I can imagine. And I have never been, you know, thank God, a, a victim of um, of a serious crime or actually any crime. But if I were a victim of a crime, I would want the full extent of the law to be used to, you know, for that per- that person, that that perpetrator or defendant that caused harm against myself or my family. I, it's, it's not even a partisan issue. It's just I was harmed. And will that person face justice period that's it right well i think we, we all want that and i think what you're talking about is the um the efficient the efficient and um fair application of the law and to see that you know that people commit crime get get what they have coming to them and right now i think there's a a real uh concern on the public's behalf if that's if that's what's happening, and I think myself, from what I know of personnel and the decisions that have been made recently in the district attorney's office, um, there's a real problem, and a lot of it is uh, lack of experience and lack of dealing with, with the issues that come up. And when I read some of the things, uh, in the, like certain racist type comments being made by a district attorney at a hearing about at a meeting about sentencing well that's from lack of experience and judgment and and you know uh, uh you can't do that i think the, the district attorney's office is supposed to be a law firm not not just some run-of-the-mill public agency and uh you expect high efficiency you expect uh, intelligent people who make good judgment and uh it, it, there's a trickle-down effect if you don't have that in management you're not going to get it from the line deputies either and uh, leadership is very important. And I think right now there's a real deficit in leadership in the district attorney's office. Wow, it seems that way. So, Mike, what would be some of the first few actions you would take if elected as Orange County District Attorney immediately? What, what actions would you take? 
Well, two things come to mind right away, and I've given some thought to it. The first thing I, I think is <clears throat> you need to clear the air, and uh, there seems to be like some real. There are issues of about um, a hostile work environment. There's some issues about uh, enabling sexual harassment. And in my 30 years in the district attorney's office, I never saw one claim like that. And now I think there's at least oh, 13 or 14 of them pending against the county and Todd Spitzer. So I think the first thing you need to do is establish what the, <clears throat> the working relationships and what's expected of the interaction between people, regardless of rank or gender, that you need to have uh, a uniform, acceptable work environment, okay? That's number one. Number two is um, what they don't have is you need to get all the line managers together and talk about the caseloads and, and what, the, what kind of values or what kind of policies we have. Right now, the best I can tell, since they're so inexperienced over there, I think uh, the policy is kind of like, well, get, get whatever, if you, if you have to, get whatever conviction you can, you know, get whatever plea you can. Well, that's not really practicing law as a prosecutor. Um, when I was on the felony panel, when I supervised on the felony panel with another deputy, Mel Jensen, my job, my role, what I had to do was evaluate everyone's caseload with them and tell them the policies that applied, tell them what a robbery was worth, tell them what a grand theft person was worth, what a residential burglary, and help them determine which cases went to trial and which settled. You need to do that for every unit. And by doing so, you, you take away the focus from all these little petty problems that are going on. Say, our focus is going to be on the efficient and equal prosecution prosecution of, of serious cases. And that's what we're going to get back to. We're going to reestablish the Trackers Unsolved Project. We're going to reopen the Innocence Project and get going with um, the, the, um, oh, the human trafficking and the drug dealing and make task force that go to work. Instead of talking about it, we're going to do the projects and get them going. And that's what you need. You need just let's get down to what is the problem. And let's go after it. Not, let's not talk about it. There's a there's a rising crime rate, and uh, our our role is to make sure it goes down. And those are two, just two. And I gave you a couple of details there, but those are like the two main areas which I think you have to emphasize right away. Wow, Mike, you sound like the real district attorney that Orange County needs. Now, how can voters give you some immediate feedback, perhaps on your website, maybe a social media platform? As these June, uh, as the June seventh primary is real close, about almost well less than a month away, and and mail-in ballots are being returned here within the next few days. I'm so, I'm sorry, uh, Rick. You mean what? What kind of feedback have I got? Is that the question? Yeah. How can people get feedback to you? I mean, they're going to listen to this podcast episode. I'm going to uh, upload it to maybe two or three social media platforms. Do you have uh, like a contact page on your website? Oh yeah, I have a I have a website. It's uh, Mike Jacobs for OCDA dot com. That's my campaign website. And when you go into there uh, from that website, you can go to my Facebook and Twitter accounts where I have different posts. Excellent, excellent. So and Mike, I do I get a lot. I, I'm astounded on one. I posted. Um, Oh, an article, uh, a, a post about Proposition 47 and the problems as a result. And, and Rick, I've got over 900 comments on it, which astounded me. 
Yeah, I think know, I saw that. I was I was referred to that page in that in that um, that post, and I did see all the comp all the uh, comments. And I would recommend for voters interested in Mike, and I know you probably sent some updates out. Go to Mike's website and put your contact information in, so Mike, uh, so that you can give them some updates. You know, over the next couple of weeks, and as you, because I think you're going to move past and be probably in the general election. I hope so. I mean, I really, really hope so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't got, uh, there, are, there are some polling numbers out there yet, uh, and, but I haven't I haven't got anything reliable yet. I'm gonna work on trying to get some today, but actually to tell you the truth, uh, my, my campaigning or my appearances end on, let me think, end this Friday the 13th. Uh, it's a strange day to end on, but um, that's my last appearance, and then I'm pretty much down to uh, working the social media. Exactly. So, Mike Jacobs, Orange County District Attorney candidate, do you have any closing comments? No, I think, um, I th- oh, yes, I, I think what I should do is point out without going into too much uh, detail that there's a major distinction but between myself and the three other candidates and that distinction quite simply is I've done the work okay I've done the work I went through the DA's office I worked on the felony panel thereafter I went through um, I went to vertical units in the sexual assault unit in the narcotics unit and what was my oh and career criminal before I went to homicide I uh Went to homicide. I worked in homicide for 13 years. I supervised the felony panel for over three years, and I supervised uh, homicide for over three years. What I just said there comprises all oh, about 20, 24 years of trial experience and supervising trial attorneys. Of my three candidates, nobody can say that they did that for one day. Not one day, including Todd Spitzer. He was on the felony panel. I supervised him. I believe he did nine trials, and then he left the office to start his political career. He never supervised a unit. He never worked in a vertical unit. Neither did my other two adversaries. So that's the major distinction. It really, and, and it really, I guess, it, quite frankly, it goes down. It boils down to like twenty-five years to zero. So take your wow. choice. Wow. Okay, Mike Jacobs for Orange County, California, not Florida, Orange County, California District Attorney. I want to thank you for being a guest on the Real People USA podcast. And this podcast upload will go to about nine platforms and will be heard across the United States. Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate you coming on to the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.